0: You are listening to part two of Another Bloody Movie Podcast's first annual Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards, the Ab Mappers. If you have not listened to part one, check it out on SoundCloud and iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix, where we, on that episode, announce winners for categories such as Best Original Score, Animated Feature... Supporting Actor and Actress, Australian Film, Cinematography, as well as ab exclusive categories such as the Why Are You Here and Came Out of Nowhere Awards. So check that out before listening to this one. This is part two. Enjoy the show. <laughs> well, now we're getting into Best Documentary. And here are the nominees, two that we've already talked about at length already. Yeah, uh, yeah, Gurumul yeah. and I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story are both nominated for Best Documentary. Along with... Chris the Swiss, Free Solo, and Minding the Gap.
1: Unfortunately, I haven't seen Chris the Swiss or Minding the Gap, but I really would have liked to have seen them. Although Free Solo I have seen. Yes, um, we saw
0: this on the world's biggest screen, the IMAX Melbourne, currently the world's biggest screen in the world, which is possibly the most terrifying place you could watch this film, especially if you have fear of heights or vertigo of some sort. It's great to see it on
1: the, um, on the, the, the biggest screen in the world, supposedly. Um, although like some like camera work, uh, well the camera works very impressive in, mm. in this documentary. They sort of show how they they, they do it, which I which I kind of love cause mm. it gives you more appreciation of it. Some some shots are a bit out of focus, but it's great when you see those in focus, gritty, uh, detailed um, images of just this of this mountain climber just grab onto like a surface that looks like he can't even like grip at all, and him just like sticking. He's just. By the yeah, fingertips, by the tips of his
0: fingers grasping on that. Is just it's just insane. It's really white knuckle, kind of like heart in your mouth sort of stuff, isn't mm. it? I thought the documentary was really good. Like, there's a mm. few things that I thought we really didn't need to see, like, especially like a lot of the stuff with him and his girlfriend and like them trying yeah. to get an apartment and things like that. Like, I get it's like he wants to try, him trying to get a normal life and try, him trying to get to that point. And I'm like, it's, it didn't really need it. But it's strange because
1: they try like that element. I think they try to humanize him a bit more to to make him seem more relatable to the everyday person. But I sort of like he's him. more interesting. He's more interesting to be this sort of self centered Ubermensch or something that's like oh I'm just gonna I'm just oh, I just want to climb these mountains just like just physically and. And uh, metaphorically, just conquer these mm. g- ridiculous human ach- achievements, phys- like of the of the human mm.
0: uh, body. I love when he goes to like. Does he go to like a neuroscientist and like he actually wants to know yeah. what it is like? <laughs> why he cra- like? Why he wants to do this? Like he wants to get into like the psychology of like yeah. what, why he wants to. Oh, do Oh, that's this. very
1: interesting because because uh, it turns out that he doesn't have a lot of activity in his amygdala, which meant that um. This man has a very high fear factor, which is why that he could uh, undergo such a stressful task as climbing like a, like a cliff face with just his bare hands without any like ropes or anything um, tied to him. And it makes you know, it makes a lot of sense because you'd be thinking like, how the fuck could anyone do that? Because all these professional mountain climbers are like, oh, we like a lot of them barely actually. Free solo is what they call. A lot of them barely do it because they know how damn dangerous it is. Of course, Mm. but a lot of people that did free solo only were able to do it for a short amount of time because a lot of them ended up dying. Yeah, that's how like dangerous it was. And that's
0: like I think the filmmakers also incorporate themselves into this film well because the filmmakers are friends with the subject. But there's also that great scene, I think, early on in the film where he's talking about like the actual ethics of even making the film because he's yeah, like, like yeah. I've always been hesitant to make a movie about free soloing because imagine if you captured your, your friend, friend doing it and just falling out of frame to mm. his death.
1: I think I think it's nice how the camera crew uh, sort of just handled the recording because they never wanted to be there to sort of distract um, uh, the, the the subject of the film doing mm. his free soloing. And, uh, it, and it's quite funny, too, because when he actually does go about conquering this, climbing this ridiculous cliff face... Yeah, the El Capitan. He doesn't even... The El... Yeah, what was it called? The El, the El Capitan. The El Capitan. He doesn't even, like, tell them about it. He just starts climbing, and that's <laughs> when they start rolling. Yeah, it's like, oh, fuck. He started but, like, climbing. You can really see the dread in their eyes when they're recording. Yeah. Like, they, they just feel really uncomfortable doing it. They're just doing it to because uh, the sort of what he, his, his friends want, and they... Um, they they sort of do the, the, the i guess they're a camera crew by profession anyway yeah. when they're not recording but they're sort of the, like it the two things that they seem to love mountain climbing and and, and shooting but it's just when it's their friend doing it they they're, they always have that that dread of worrying about him just having a miss a miss grippage and falling to his
0: death yeah free solo was i think it's a very very good documentary mm. Well, yeah, as well, it wouldn't be nominated if it wasn't, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're we're a bit burnt out here. Uh, Chris the Swiss, which I saw at MIFF, is another nominee. This was a really interesting documentary. Uh, it was about this uh, this uh, I think this artist goes to uh, Croatia because during the Baltic War, her cousin Chris was a journalist covering the war there, mm. and he died under mysterious circumstances. So what she does, she goes the the, doc- the documentary is like in three different styles essentially so mm. it's talking heads interviews with like the people who knew Chris mm. and it's her retracing her cousin's steps but the other thing is like this black and white like charcoal drawn animation oh. that is re- that like that like shows what Chris would have been doing this kind of reminds me it was of it very a good film Waltz
1: with Bashir did you ever see that? I have not seen this that but Waltz I really Bashir want to see that I kind of like that there's interviews and there's also this like like reimagining of, of of the events that happened
0: yeah it was a fact it does it does lose a bit of steam toward like the hour mark which i've noticed with a lot of documentaries have kind of done that for me like they lose mm. a little bit of steam and then they pick back up right when they get to like the resolution or like they show what actually what actually went down but yeah then th- th- you, you learn that like chris while he was a journalist over in croatia during the baltic war that like he got tangled up with like um, a military divi- like a paramilitary division or something mm-hmm. and like uh, in like the war and got
1: so you just get executed or something
0: Well him. I'm not going to talk about that he just got he got tangled up with some very ro- with some very shady characters and uh, the film goes into like their what they were doing and it's a it's a really fascinating watch I really enjoyed Chris the Swiss and then Minding the Gap which a lot of people would have seen this is a Hulu original documentary uh, it's about these three young men in this. I can't remember what town they're from, but it's um, it's pretty much about all of them growing up. But the town is like has some of the worst like crime rates in yeah. the uh, so in in, in, really the, in the U.S. It. states. I think yeah, just high crime in general yeah. as well. And it's about like just them all, all three of them. I think the documentary spans over like their young their young adult years. So like as soon as they like, I think they dropped out of high school actually so like from when they were like 16 to like 23 Mm. it shows them like growing up and in this town and it kind of like there's a theme about like how they like how these guys are all friends and like how they all found solace in like skateboarding and that that's how they all became friends and that's how they like escaped like all of the problems in their life but then like the film gets into some really really touchy subject matter and then you realize that like the thing that kind of surrounds them is like, it, the film has a massive focus on, like, the cycle of abuse and, like, what mm. effect that has and, like, is that carried over to when... The next generation. Yeah, does that carry over to the next generation? Nature and,
1: versus nurture type dilemma. Yeah,
0: kind of like that. Like, can you train that out or is that always just going to be instinctually inside you? Like, what mm. is the psychology of that and is that... It's a really... It's a heartbreaking film and mm. an excellent watch. uh one uh, It's an unbelievable documentary and that is why... Minding the Gap is the winner for best documentary I mean, film. Just, just
1: hearing about how it was made, it was like made on like nothing, and it was just as you said, recorded over six years. This is the person, that I think, that was living in that area, recording. Yeah, with their it, 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 the, the filmmaker
0: is one of the subjects of the film, and it's yeah. his friends.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's just such a personal, um, just topic. Just uh, it's it's nice to see like a, a film where like. A person who's experiencing what's happening has just evolved themselves into the sort of the, the greater focus of things.
0: Yep. Congratulations, Bing Lau, who's the director of uh Oh no Bing Lu, sorry, mm-hmm. Bing Lu, who's the director of Minding the Gap, who also did a pre recorded uh thank you for supporting independent documentary filmmaking for when I saw this at Acme had a short pre recorded message before the film started. So that was really awesome. Thanking mm-hmm. us for paying to see his film and you know what? I'm glad I did, Bing, if you're listening. So thank you for Minding the Gap. You have won the Ab Mapper for Best Documentary Feature.
1: Mm, it's, it's good to, to fund these independent filmmakers cause it's hard for them to get funding.
0: Yeah, and also, if you're living in America, for any American listeners, and you have Hulu, watch it right now, please, because this <laughs> film is incredible. It's a great documentary. Yeah, we
1: need them to get more work and also to encourage other filmmakers in a similar situation to sort of make something if they desire to do so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what is the next category?
0: So the next award is the 2018 Sacred Deer, which was the award that Eric was trying to announce earlier. But what is the Sacred Deer? Well, the uh, Sacred Deer is um,
1: the deer that uh, Agamemnon... I can't pronounce Agamemnon? Aga, A- uh, uh, Agamemnon. Uh, killed, Agamemnon. Uh, p- killed this priest's <laughs> favourite deer, and, or uh, well, this oracle's favourite deer, and he sort of gave him this strange ultimatum. Uh, that will uh, either get him across to Troy, or just keep him trapped on this island.
0: Or it's a curse that you uh, that Barry Keown puts on you, yeah. p- puts on Colin Farrell's family. Or oh.
1: for killing the deer, which is his father, essentially.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so the killing the <laughs> the killing of a sacred deer is an excellent film which you should check out. But the ab mapper for the twenty the sacred deer award for the ab mappers is. Most overhyped or overrated film.
1: There, there are so many films that we could just put in this category, but we'll just name like the most, the ones that we saw as being the best candidates. And uh, I'm
0: gonna throw up one that I saw recently,
1: and I don't know if it's gonna win, but Eighth Grade. Eighth Grade. That's that's very interesting name because I'll probably I mean, agree with you if I did watch it, but I haven't seen. I it. I
0: mean, it's fine. I don't see what people see in this film i mean elsie fisher is quite good in the lead role and the actual pool party sequence does an excellent job of like capturing fucking teenager ang- teenager social anxiety mm. like you know li- little autistic uh, teenage sean i felt that all the fucking time so mm. that was like a fucking horror movie to me and that mm. was that was a great scene everything else in this movie felt so cliche and like a lot of the dialogue is awkward I know it's meant to be awkward, but it doesn't come off as endearing or like charming or just like any. It just comes off as like uncomfortable and badly written. Like he's trying to make he's trying, he's trying to, to make mimic
1: life, real life too close to the sense that it's just like an uncanny valley effect where you're like, I know that this is a fictional movie, but he's trying to make this seem. No, he's trying to make this realistic.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, he's trying to make this realistic, but it's just like. He's trying to make th- trying to get this social awkwardness of this girl and like but it's it, it, a way to do this would be to make it like awkward and a little uncomfortable but still somewhat charming and endearing here it just comes off as just like I'm writing awkward dialogue for the sake of awkward dialogue, and it's mm. really uncomfortable and just not it, it's badly written is what I'm saying yeah there's also just some weird directorial choices as well like there's this big scene where like she's telling off a bully later in the film. Mm. But for some reason the actress is looking down at her feet the whole time, like not even looking the bullies at the eyes. I'm like, this is a weird directorial choice. Surely mm. if this is meant to be her standing up to a bully and like, you know, having the confidence to do so, wouldn't you think her looking her in the eyes shows that she has she's finally getting the confidence to do so? But no, throughout this entire scene she's looking at her shoes, and I thought that was a very, very strange directorial choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I just didn't find the movie. Like it, it actually felt a lot like eighth grade to me the the movie 8th grade and that i got nothing out of it and it felt like Maybe it went on was for an eternity
1: the intention <laughs> i'm sorry bo
0: burnham's not a filmmaker like i he's a funny stand up comic but i don't think he's a very strong filmmaker I that, i'm uh, sorry this
1: film like strangely you sort of like uh, attack some of the writing because i heard that the writing sort of the strongest component that's supposed to be i would disagree or whatever or at least a depiction of this uh, uh young american girl in 8th grade is supposed to be like many would say so, how they would imagine um, to be like a realistic it, depiction it, all, of sorts. Also, I'm not
0: sure. I haven't seen the film. It tries to do too much. Like it, it tries to have a bunch of different messages as well. Like it, it tries uh, to do like the, the, like the effect that social anxiety can have on a teenager and how like social media is a big part of that like it tries to do a lot and doesn't really do much of anything doesn't really do much of anything it just becomes very unfocused tries to say too much and then kind of ends up saying nothing (laughs) oh that's
1: really that's not very good at all um Um, it's like a
0: five out of ten if i was to rate it but (laughs) Well uh, that's that's
1: interesting. It didn't didn't seem to appeal to me at all. I I don't know. It seemed very generic. I heard the directions pretty generic stuff like storyline just uh you got this kid that's just sort of like—is she like a fish out of water? She's just starting eighth she's grade just or something. Like, yeah, she's finishing eighth grade or finishing eighth grade. She's about it's to go. a last like week this, of eighth grade, and she's about to go like, into high school. Like this outcast-like character, it's sort of got that coming you, know, all that coming of age stuff that's in like your high school films. Like Lady yeah. Bird was very similar. Lady that's Bird's a, a much better film. Like, by yeah, the way. Uh, lady Lady Bird was a bit surprised in the sense where I thought it was just going to be a bit too generic, but Greta Gerwig. Um, I guess w- which what Burnham probably fails actually actually develops a nice personality for the film and actually makes it kind of enter- quite entertaining to watch, regardless of like the themes and the topics sort of just uh, being things that have done before in the past and probably better. Seems like eighth grade doesn't even have the, like the charm of individuality in its film, which Not seems really. really sad.
0: I, I kind of think, as much as I think Elsie Fisher is like good in the movie, I don't think there's much to her character at all. I don't think there's anything really. She's so just on there.
1: too much of just this 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 mold of the generic. This is the eighth grade American girl. Yeah, pretty much to but the point where she has no individual characteristic
0: traits. That's terrible. But. Uh, do you have another one you want to throw? Do you have a hat, another hat you want to throw in the ring? For most... Uh, uh, ever? You know what do I it. might throw. Say it, say it. I wasn't so too... Just wasn't, say it, just say it. I wasn't
1: too big on First Reformed. I thought it was pretty overrated. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible film. I think it's fine. Um, although I just... I think it's a bit... Like a similar complaint to Spike Lee. It's a bit to uh, hit the hammer over the head with like its environmental messages. or yeah. disagreeing with it, but it's just... It's just it's a bit strange to see in this film. It's weird when I, when I'm watching films from Paul Schrader because he can make some really good films or he can make some really bizarre sh- films. And the canyons. This sort of sort of, <laughs> it sort of falls in the territory of in between. Like some, I like the cinematography. Uh, I think we mentioned that earlier. It was nominated for cinematography, so I'm not going to disagree with it having poor cinematography. But like right too. And, oh, Ethan Hawke's quite. Is, we'll get is, to him. But my God, Ethan Hawke's acting is brilliant. The act, the character. I don't know so much. So the writing, I think, is is kind of quite weak in in First yep.
0: Reformed. I'm surprised that well, the writing was what got the Oscar nomination I because I think it's like the weakest part of the it's whole film. The
1: weakest part of the film, like, but what's what's annoy what annoys me is is the, the direction as well is a bit lazy because this film borrows a lot from Schrader's other films. Well, yeah, Schrader's well, not even just Schrader's other films, but the films that may have influenced Schrader's other films. Like, which, oh yeah, you
0: mentioned like Bresson films and like. Other well, like it's that.
1: very similar to Diary of a Country Priest. It's like practically the narrative is an amalgamation of Diary of a Country Priest and Winter's Light, even to the point of having very similar compositions from from both films. But the way it's shot, it's like it's done in that way. But then again, it's sort of got this this thing with the quadrants that seems to be. I can't really remember that being in, in, in those films because I don't think those filmmakers really shot films in that way to use uh, to divide things in quadrants. But I like seeing that in first reform. That was sort of differentiating the quad-
0: oh, Wait, no, it, was, it would have been quadrants with the 4x3 because if it was yeah, widescreen, they would yeah. have used rule of thirds.
1: Yeah, it would have been rule of thirds or it's a bit too difficult to do quadrants in um, in 4x3. Uh, I think, did, didn't, um, what's his name, Refn do it in Drive? Was that was that in four by three? Was that in widescreen? No, no, no,
0: no. That was widescreen.
1: Yeah, well, that had quadrants in it, but it's not like you know, mm. it's just in, in parts. But yeah, see, like the, I like the use of the negative space in the um in the cinematography, but just the like the character just seemed to. I look. I don't know much about like American Calvinism, but it just he seems so out of touch with the world in, in a really unrealistic way at The beginning of the film, he's like, Oh, I know that there's climate change, I know there's terrible stuff, but then he goes on this weird, like, martyr esque you know, martyrs, another big theme of uh, of um, Schrader, where it's just like uh, he's, he's going on a mission to to sort of like destroy this this plant, or he was, he was gonna kill this the CEO of um, of uh, this 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 power company. But what's so ridiculous is that like they treat this character in such a bizarre way, like, his arguments. Like I like look you know that what he's doing is terrible, but like how he defends himself is really reasonable for what he's trying to do. Yeah, I'm not not trying to say like pr- pr- like promote like okay a person like 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 this like they, they 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 just what I'm just trying to say is that you you should just completely especially if you're trying to make your film rather grand in reality, you can't just have this cartoonish like examination of this sort of realistic. Like yeah. CEO figure, like the way that it, like he was yeah. written, he it's
0: it sounds like Woman at War, which is the much more cartoonish film, had a much more mature and more deep and like uh, uh showing of these like I mean, of uh, like uh, this uh, eco terrorist kind wish, of character. I wish I was,
1: yeah. See, I wish I saw uh, Woman at War said because this, what this guy was saying just seemed like reasonable responses because he's defending himself. Like someone that would have a PowerPoint like a power plant like that's not going to give it up because you have to find like uh like some other avenue of of of, um of earning or whatever it's just it's just the it's just ethan Hawke's just nuts about it he's just like attacking him and and the the way they direct it's just like oh you're just spurring on like ethan Hawke. they don't they don't seem to demonize him at all and it's
0: really strange it's just this really delusional crazy character also with this film paul schrader went to the soprano school of how to end a film Oh yeah! Oh, <laughs> the en- I hated the ending. I hated it so much. It was so
1: fucking stupid. Um,
0: he went. Ethan Hawke went psycho mode. He just went.
1: He just went goddamn sicko mode, and it, and it was. And, and some of the things he did was just hilarious. I don't want to spoil the movie, but um, yeah, you're right. A very Soprano esque ending. Something that sort of took me off. Like it was actually something that I expected to yeah, happen. Yeah, you're like,
0: you're like, oh, it's happening. But oh wait, it's the credits. What?
1: Yeah, like this is weird. Like I expected, I expected the film to go either of two ways, not to sort of do this bullshit. Like, kind oh, it's going down, fizzle it, it out. Even, yeah, it couldn't even fucking follow through. It was like, <laughs> it was like, oh, we're gonna go, we're gonna do this, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually happening. This is gonna be pretty like ridiculous. And then something, and then, and then it goes, it falls back onto the safer ending. Like, oh no,
0: <laughs> why did you do that? It's
1: it, it, the ending, like, in respect to those other two films that I mentioned. It's just. It's weird because it's sort of like it's such a like in comparison to them, it's got a very Hollywood esque ending. So I guess like in a weird way, I don't know if that's because Schrader wanted it to have a hopeful ending or if it's just it's just trying to make it more appealing for the audience. I don't know which. It didn't work for me and um it just doesn't fucking hold a candle to those other two films
0: alright but the the film that we're gonna we both agree on and you all know what the sacred deer of 2018 oh, is gonna yes, be so we're not even gonna bother talking about we, it we're we just s- gonna announce the winner just and move on we will just so
1: much shit at this film
0: <laughs> the sacred deer of 2018 is what Eric? <clears throat> uh, it's a quiet place <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I mean even that could worse. be but no it's hereditary. <laughs> it's hereditary hereditary is the the sacred deer of 2018 it, please go back to previous episodes to hear us slander that film I, we don't, we don't re- think it's very good at all we don't want to repeat ourselves we just sound like bloody
1: broken records but we've yeah we've just we've mentioned so much problems we've had with the film like we'll just reiterate the biggest our biggest problem is that this is a film that that doesn't work well fundamentally as a horror film and could have worked much better as a psychological drama and sort of like the ending of uh, First first reformer, couldn't sort of commit to either either, and becomes yeah. a horrible, it's huge sort of fucking m- cop out y- in y- the y- end. Horrible mishmash of both, and ends up just going
0: absolutely batshit insane, turning into a w- unintentional horror comedy
1: near the end of the film.
0: Yeah, if Sam Raimi had directed this in like 1994, Aww. Hereditary would be awesome. But sadly, it was not. And also, people saying that Hereditary is uh, will go down as like. The next, like *Rosemary's Baby* or oh, *The Shining*, bullshit. as as a horror classic, no. If it does, I'd cry. No, it won't. It won't. Probably, I'd shed please a tear. Please stop. Film Twitter. Like, uh, if you like the film, fine, but stop acting like it's the fucking Second Coming of Christ. This please. really
1: shouldn't be canonized. It's just, it's not that impressive. Like, it's fine for a debut, but yeah, so just, fucking derivative, just, though. It just does. It's just a shit horror movie. It's got all the cheap fucking tricks it's just it's, it's it's not not a very impressive film at all like some some of the cinematography is good some of the like Tony Klett's brilliant
0: i think um, she's good yeah she's played so, she plays it so well, over she the plays top, though.
1: she plays the character as good as she can i think because like the just the characters a bit bizarre mm. like just i think that's more so a problem with the writing
0: all right, we're going to move on to Best Newcomer. This is another one of our awards. Th- I mean, we're going to be doing two of our awards in a row, but this mm. is Best Newcomer. So this is, well, it, I guess it's uh, in the name. Yeah. So an actor <laughs> with very little acting experience or like a first performance or a up-and-comer. Like a, just a debut performance. Debut pretty performance pretty or like a, a, a breakthrough performance, I guess you would call it. So for here, for Best Newcomer, we've got Helena Howard in Madeline's Madeline. We've got Thomas and McKenzie in Leave No Trace. We have Yulitza Aparicio in Roma. We have Hamilton Morris in Sweet Country. And we have Joe Kyrie in Shoplifters. Hmm. Uh, there's two... This is going to be a hard choice for me because there's two
1: that I really, really like. And I think you probably have an idea which ones because they play similar... Well, they, they play characters of a similar, like, age. Uh, Yeah, um, so
0: th- I'm guessing it's Helena Howard and Thomas and Mackenzie? Yes, yes. <laughs> We probably should give this to the younger people we <laughs> Well, it'd be nice to just because,
1: like, one, it's hard to get good child actors. Yep. And uh, two, it's
0: oh, even more impressive. It's,
1: like, the first
0: role. Yep. Well, I think Helena Howard as well, like, especially in the role of Madeline as well, like, that is a bizarre... Like, that, that is something mm. even as an experienced actor would struggle with. That yeah, is yeah. a very... Very tough role oh, that asks a lot, a, a lot from the actors. That just is unlike anything I've seen in a film before. Like it's very strange performance style. I mean, all throughout Madeline's it just, Madeline. it seems
1: so strenuous that like the psychological like strain trauma that they like they depict in the film. I wouldn't be surprised if the actress is just going through that as 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 well. Just going from like performance acting to, to but to, but
0: would that not go against the whole theme of the movie? Of like using no. one's experiences in, in and that's that's in, the thing. Like in would, their I, art, I, I
1: I guess I guess it will, do, I guess it could go against the film if you sort of view it in the way of demonizing that, or it could benefit the film in the sense like you make your best art when you just when it's a raw expression of the strain, mm. which is sort of what happens in the ending in a sense. Yep. So it um, yeah, Helena Howard is is. Excellent. I'd probably say that's probably my favourite just because of how um, how much range she has in uh, Madeline's yeah. Madeline and also just how unique the, the character and the role is.
0: I mean, a, a, a role that asks you to get on your knees and hiss like a cat and yeah. like go up to people, like nuzzle your head up to them and then start yeah. purring. It's like, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do this. But she fully embraces it. And yeah. as you said, shows a lot of range in this film. Yeah. I think she is excellent. I think Thomas and Mackenzie as well. It's a lot more understated, I think, than... Yeah, well, th- it's interesting because I like, I like both her performance
1: and also like the performance of her father character. Oh, yeah, ben, ben Foster's very good. Ben yeah. Foster was really was really subtle. Um, so I really liked his performance because they didn't have to show him going, like, you know... Flipping out, yeah, not the going AWOL or anything. It's sort yeah. of like it's it's sort of how you would expect like a, ve- a veteran to actually deal with the situation to really just bottle it up to the point where like for someone else to, the, to examine them, they would be hard to tell if they were suffering because they just hide it so well. And it's really through there just their just their removal from others is where you sort of see that's 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 when they're in, in a sort of a state of pain because he's he, because um, he's very his character is just sort of very independent. He really only uh, trusts his daughter. He doesn't really trust anyone else. And he, that's kind of why he just likes to live in the woods because he wants to get away from humanity.
0: You know we're talking about Thomas and Mackenzie though, right?
1: Yes, we are. <laughs> but she's also great as, as being this uh, this sort of poor girl who's sort of grown mm. up in this sort of uh, She's, kind of, of she's, yeah, she's like, kind of taking care of him now. Yeah, she's kind of taking care. Well, she does take she, care she of She
0: is it. the carer for him now more more yeah. Well, I, I, that that becomes it's, more apparent towards the it end. It becomes the film, more apparent
1: to the end, but she also wants to sort of break from this this lifestyle mm. and sort of she experience doesn't experience other ve- like uh, venues of life. She she's doesn't really necessarily deprived of, um that human connection. Of she family. doesn't
0: really. She doesn't necessarily want to escape the life she has, but she nah. wants to experience like yeah. the uh, the world that her father has kind of sheltered her from. So it's really heartbreaking when it comes to the, the oh, ending that, of the film. I mean, just. All, all it takes is and to break to break my heart in that film mm. and what Thomas and Mackenzie did yeah she's excellent as well Yolita Aparicio as well very smart casting from quoron's mm. uh, point by getting a preschool teacher someone who works very well who, who works with children mm. to play the housemaid in Roma because I mean just the, the genuine connection and love that she shows and the compassion that she has towards the children and mm. all the other family members is just it's so palpable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's good to see that, um, uh, regardless of people saying that he's been a bit of a hack with what he did with Roma, it's it's nice to see that he. Wait, who's saying that? Oh, well, I've had, I've had, had, had some friends that say that he's sort of copied the uh, the Italian neorealist films a bit too closely. Oh, Okay. So I'm not necessarily going to disagree with them that, but I don't. But I think the film is sort of original enough to stand on its own legs. So, like, yes, he's going to do things like shoot it in black and white. Um, and also, to sort of do uh, casting non-professional actors. Um, although um, I think uh, the way that he goes about uh, sort of uh, the making of the film, even even with the the actors in the film per se, it's not too it's not worrying too much on uh, individual narratives. There's there's many narratives that run throughout, and it's sort of just this like stream of Looking at this time capsule of like Mexico in that time period, um, and I think she's a she's a great actress and the, in the co- way that she performs uh, the profession through the character and also sort of uh, especially that there's not a lot of dialogue either. Yeah, not a lot of dialogue, but but, it, but very like there's that particular scene where you you really see like a lo- like a lot of uh, strain and emotion. I don't really want to spoil it, mm. but there's a particular scene that happens in a hospital and. And that's it's sort of where you see a, this uh, this strong maid sort of really just break down and show a great deal of vulnerability. So it's a uh, it's a it's a very very good performance that has a good range sort of juxta- like jumping between like warmness to just to to it's being broken agony. to agony.
0: An incredible performance from. Uh, it's amazing to think that she has had zero acting experience prior mm. to that because. Well, it just shows how to go. It
1: just shows how far a good director can um, mm. get someone ooh, that doesn't have professional like acting ability can just de- deliver such a. Uh, I would say like a, a performance that sort of elevates and improves a film like this because I don't think it would be nowhere near as good as is, if he got professional actors because no. it doesn't really, it wouldn't have that sort of.
0: Now, do you think that's on the director or the actors? Like when when it's a, it would be a mix of both. Yeah, it'd be, it. Be Everyone's doing
1: the. Because, like, you, you, the director would have to convey what he wants them to do, but the, the, the actors, their emotions would be a lot more raw, I'd imagine, than professional actors would sort of have these sort of defaults, ads, and happies, and that kind of thing. So it sort of really uh, makes this, this, this character of the maid come to life and feel very organic. So that's what I like to see. Even though it was done like, during the neorealist period, you know, I've never really seen it being done much now today. So, even though this is, like, a flashier uh, uh, version of those kinds of, uh, of, that kind of film, it's still very um, nice to see. And unlike those films of sort of showing what's happening contemporary, this is showing what happened in the past and sort of making it as if it was happening, like, presently yeah. in front of you. As I said before, like, looking at the time capsule, as Corona I think, described it's like it's like looking through a stream of his memory
0: yeah and then next on that list is hamilton morris as well again another another person that you can just be like did, how is this guy had like no like he, he's been in like one or two like tv shows but this is like first feature film role and just kills it in sweet country again showing off an incredible amount of range again not a lot of dialogue and again not a lot of dialogue in english either it just I mean, he just looks so weathered and sad throughout this whole film, and you can tell—not necessarily the regret that what he's done, but like he's fantastic in the film. That's all we need. Yeah, you can't say that. As is young Joe Kyrie and Shoplifters as well. Just uh, is he one of the child actors? He is the ch- he is the young he is the young kid in he, Shoto is his character's name. Who is the. Yeah, it's is, is he the adopted kid? Mm, well, that gets into spoilers by saying that, but it's a fantastic. Yeah, he is really good. Uh, breaks breaks your heart, especially towards mm. the end. Like there is one scene with him and his father, which is just like
1: satire joker yeah, well
0: shoplifters is just an amazing film like it's a, it's a great ensemble performance from like the whole cast from the family and Joe Kyrie as this young kid a, again another one is like a, this young kid for like what a 10 or 12 year old boy or however old he is brings a gives a really stunning performance in this but the winner of the best newcomer award goes to drum roll please Eric uh, he, um drum roll drum, drum, drum,
1: drum, 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 drum. I can't make I don't know what I There's a fucking a table right ch- there
0: oh. <laughs> No, <laughs> no. <laughs> God you're a dumb guy <laughs> <laughs>
1: is, this, is this better pens happen <laughs> Helena Howard
0: wins fucking hell let's move on
1: <laughs> Don't get me to use the instruments ever again
0: <laughs> Yeah Eric failed music in high school guys
1: I probably did. I wouldn't be surprised. All
0: right, we're getting into the big three. I think we've only got three left. Holy, thank fuck! <laughs> we're two hours in, we've got three categories. I left. have Mercer on whoever power through it. This. <laughs> for best, oh have no, four. All right, we should get into this one. So there's four. We're not. G- we're going to get into best directorial debut because this kind of ties in to best f- newcomer because this is the best newcomer of other sorts. We only mm. have four nominees for this one oh. though.
1: This is going to be very interesting. So, for this one, we
0: have Yolanda Ramke and Ben Howling for Cargo. We have Thomas M. Wright for Acute Misfortune. We have Gustav Moller for The Guilty. And we have Tillman Singer for Luz. Mm. Well, uh,
1: you know what? I'm, I'm going to... Say it is. You think it's the guilty? Yeah, I know what you're gonna say too. All right. Yeah. So, uh,
0: so just quickly, we, we mentioned Cargo before. I think that is a really great uh, directorial debut from both Yolanda Ramke and Ben Howling. A great adaptation of their short film. We discussed it. Cute Misfortune, which I got to go to a press screening at the Melbourne International Film Festival this year. The directorial debut of Australian actor Thomas M. Wright. It was an adaptation of uh, the the um uh of the biography of. The biography of, uh, Australian painter, uh, fuck, I can't remember what his name is. God.
1: He was an Australian painter.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, A Cute Misfortune, which is a really great... Anyway, The the Guilty, you, you really want to talk about this. Gustav Moller's The Guilty, the Danish real-time thriller set to one location.
1: Well, The Guilty, I was really surprised with, because, uh, I, I went in knowing nothing about it, and, um... I didn't expect to to get the film that I got, and I was really surprised with it.
0: Um, the so sound yeah. comes in this way, Eric. <laughs> oh, they can hear you me. You can't hold your microphone like this. No one can fucking hear you. They can hear me
1: just <laughs> fine, Sean. Don't worry. You just uh, put the volume up a bit on my, my side of the track. <laughs> um, the, so, the, as you mentioned, The Guilty is this, uh, this film that's uh, taking place in real time, and it's contained in a single location, never, and, leaves, the um, cool center. never ne- leaves the cold centre. And it never leaves the cold centre. And this film, uh, being being a film that's got these restrictions, has some really great cinematography with its like heavy, very extreme, extreme close-ups. Close ups. Like
0: you can see the po- like almost the pores of his skin and yeah. just like the sweat slowly sweat seeping just, out just of it.
1: Seeping, just, you're just just seeing this man
0: with, with just so much sweat and
1: you could probably see him growing wrinkles during the film.
0: <laughs> also just very, very subtle... Um, uh like environmental like aspects to show passage of time with like shadows and lights and things mm. like that yeah yeah
1: i mean it's a very impressive film and, and, and there's a very good central performance in this film as well yep. it Jacob just uh through dialogue but you could just see so much just uh just happening uh with his just how he would react to some of the things mm. that just uh they're, they're just happening during this call like it like this, you, you could you really genuinely believe that this character is so invested in this like case that yeah. it seems like most characters would just uh you know take to give the torch to someone else to deal with. And you but yourself
0: like, as the audience are also very invested.
1: You're in You're very happening. invested as well, and uh and the the reasoning behind why he's just so he's so invested in this is just even more um, interesting when it comes to that conclusion. So um it's a, so the Guilty is also quite subtle in the way it sort of hints out to to information that's going to be yep. f- like f- delivered in the future yeah. so i i think it's a very impressive film it's a very good debut and i'm um, Really excited to see what will come from this director. And I'm not sure what I'm going to think of the American. Yeah, version, there is an American I think remake it's be Hilarious.
0: I will, add, I mean, yes, definitely props to Gustav Moller for making a film, which is essentially a man making a number of phone calls for 80 minutes, mm. be one of the most thrilling films of 2018. Like, that, oh, of course, yeah. has to get him a nomination here. But um, one of my favorites here, yeah, Tillman Singers Lose. Like, we haven't talked about it on the show yet. Like, this no, is, we haven't. This is just a really strange, like, bizarre, like, Trip into Euro horror weirdness, and I loved every single second of it.
1: Oh, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the film too, because of just uh, just how it really sort of captures this like like this aesthetic of that uh, kind of um, yeah, like a
0: late li- late late seventies early eighties like horror 70s, film, yeah,
1: horror exploitation film. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, really great to see, but it's
0: shot on sixteen millimeter film too, I believe.
1: Oh, I mean, it definitely looked like it, and uh, this is a um, this is similar to The Guilty it's a pretty reserved film where it seems to only really be taking place yeah. in, the, in the one in the police station in the police yeah. station and in and, and performance wise it's really great the see characters deliver a lot of a variety where we have uh, some people that are just uh, impersonating others um I don't know. We should delve too deep into the details of the film because I think this is something that's best going in blind. Mm. I didn't know a fucking but thing that was happening. O- also, was just,
0: just like the hypnosis scenes, where like yeah. they 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 hypnotize this person to like relive moments to like help solve this case and. They they act like they're in a car, but they're just they're just sitting in a row of chairs, yeah. and they just act like it's so like cre- and, it's, and it's
1: great when they met, actually cut to what they're imagining.
0: Yeah, so they cut yeah. to that, and I believe there's even like there's they they include like the sound effects of that in there too. Yeah, they, they actually it's so they, creative. They it's a yeah, it's great. It is a bizarre film. Um, we saw it at Paris Cinema Fest back in December, and I just like was it's, like, I need to see this movie again immediately. It's a
1: bizarre short gem, and it's got a great sense. Yeah, of humor seventy too. minutes. I mean, I, I, I love what was uh, happening in the in the bar. That's, yeah. It's, and it's hilarious how that scene ends and it transitions to, to, oh, I guess it's got more than one location, but it's really, I guess we'd say that's a limited location. It is. It,
0: it, you, could, you could nearly describe this as a bottle movie, I would say. Yeah. Like, The Guilty is definitely a bottle movie. Mm.
1: But it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's really hilarious to, to, to see how that whole scene in the bar just ends and transitions to what, it, to what happens at the police
0: station. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great film. Well, I reckon it was a tough call, but the winner is Gustav Muller for the guilty. Oh, well done! Congratulations. Hope you like your rope.
1: <laughs> I mean, please, there's so much rope that we have to make. We're actually just sending it like crudely scribbled IOUs. We're just sending them paper. pieces of string. We're just right sending now. them like a like a just a just a piece of paper it's about 30 centimeters long we just we just got this message saying like sorry that we couldn't actually give you the real award but it's probably going to be it's going to be a glitter this, bomb it's, it's going to be this size and length the rope so it gives you something to hope hope to something to expect
0: yeah tillman singer a very very close runner up but eric just in there like swayed me more towards the guilty and i'm like Yeah,
1: I think it's... Yeah, well, uh, look, I like The Guilty better, but I I wouldn't have been disappointed if it was given to Luz.
0: I mean, Luz was fantastic, guys. Definitely check it out. I don't know when anybody will be able to see it because it was a a big hit at the Berlinale in 2018, Mm. and I I think it played at, like, a couple of, like, smaller festivals, like a couple of genre film festivals, but, like... I, I believe it's actually getting distribution in the states sometime in 2019 so definitely oh, check that's gonna that be out cuz
1: cuz I I haven't really heard much talk about Lois just like I haven't heard much talk yeah, about I, I can't
0: stuff. find I can't find any Blu-rays in Germany that I can import over here either so I need to watch that well, movie again I wish again. You it to be in Blu-ray you want a VHS copy Oh <laughs> if they did that that would be awesome But now into the big get categories best actress and best actor and we don't we don't have a best picture category here Big, big, best pitch is overrated. We, right? We've got best yes, di- we, we've late got late. best actor, actress, best director, and best actress. Yeah, I don't know. We, we've been recording well, for nearly. Uh, t- we've been recording for way too long. This is going to be cut.
1: We've done we've done a uh, best supporting actress. I don't think we've done. Ac- best we, haven't, we haven't
0: done leads. No. So for best lead actresses, there's going to be a few here that uh, that cross over. So for best lead actress, we've got Joanna Kulig for Cold War. I cannot pronounce this name. Haldura Gehastodera. I have completely butchered that from Woman at War. We have Olivia Coleman from The Favorite. We have Helena Howard from Madeline's Madeline. And we have Yulitza Aparicio from Roma. So a few crossovers here yeah. with the Best Newcomer Awards.
1: Yeah, definitely. But it's very well deserving. Yeah, Olivia
0: Coleman is great in The Favorite.
1: I'm not sure like who would be my favorite out of this ooh. category, <laughs> but
0: uh, with Olivia Coleman though, like you can just see like there's this kind of secret movie happening like with its hurt like because the movie doesn't really focus on her, it focuses on Rachel Vice and Emma Stone yeah. like trying to win her affection, but there is like another movie happening within this movie where it's her like her health rapidly deteriorating, and you don't actually notice it, but like her, her performance like it's so good, mm. I mean. And also, her just yelling is never not going to be funny.
1: <laughs> Stop it! I, I mean, um, what I really like about um, Coleman's performance is that, and uh, it, it might just also be that it's the benefit of the character, just um, mm. just because of how interesting she is. Just her past is just how and the she, she'd behave in a very eccentric way, and Rachel Vice sort of handles her as if she was a child, and yeah. you sort of realize how she's just had, she's just this broken woman who's had this yeah. terrible yeah. past. And you learn some like terrible thing like oh well she, yeah she's had why she has the rabbit awful rabbits. luck in the sense it's, that uh, yeah each rabbit
0: represents one of my miscarriages yeah. which is
1: just like fuck so you're just thinking like if you see how many rabbits there are like oh well no wonder she's so like like just just, just mentally like traumatized and, and you're kind of surprised that she's still that she's still going mm. on. And well, she does try to well, jump out, a window, to at at jump out of a window at one point. And, what, is, uh, and
0: what, is, what does Rachel Vice say? You better—it's it, it, like if you it, it, the, don't aim for the garden, that'll break your fall or something like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, the the, the the great thing about Livy Coleman's performance and her characters is that she still has She kind of maintains that deadpanness that yeah, you see yeah, in the Lanthemus. Yeah. The, the but films, then she does she has th- greater humanity than. In comparison to Rachel Vice's like really cold sort of like domineering uh like a uh, noble woman who's like you know at first she's puppeteering uh Coleman and then she's trying and then she's uh, trying to um just uh sort of duel against uh, her cousin who's also trying to puppeteer Coleman as well and she's mm. Coleman's like this 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 victim is sort of, sort of just being manipulated by these two yeah. great forces, and it's got this brilliant ending. Where but she, then, yeah, she, she shows she
0: shows everyone who's boss at the end. She shows
1: everyone who's boss, but it's not really it's not really hopeful in the sense like she she knows that she's being played for by like a fiddle, and all she wanted was some love. But now she's just sort of.
0: It kind of, it's, she, it's back, it's, it's kind of back kinda to where it started. It's kind of back to where it started. It's just, it's, where it's, it's just started. two people have been swip, swatched, swip, switched out.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of back to where it started, and she seems to sort of kind of given up the prospect and sort of, in a sense, sort of turned cold, but she, yeah, she, you, you probably wouldn't want, the character probably wouldn't have wanted to come to that, uh, state. But, uh, I don't know, I don't know if you would want to be kind to a bunny torturer.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i almost uh yeah as someone as someone who loved who loves rabbits as well and yeah that that scene towards the end where emma stone is slowly about to crush one of the rabbits i had to look away i was like Uh, don't uh, you fucking dare uh, (laughs) i wonder
1: i wonder if if, if peter got a bit upset and
0: maybe those are real rabbits getting (laughs) stepped on uh, we've already talked about Helena Howard and Yulitza Aparicio so no need to talk about them again. But uh, mm. Haldora Gjostorvarr, whatever. However, you pronounce that Icelandic last name in Woman at War. Uh, another person doing double duty, just like uh, Tilda Swinton. Well, Tilda Swinton did triple duty with her. But um, in Woman at War, she plays the eco-warrior woman trying to save like the beautiful mountain ranges of Iceland, Iceland due to like fighting off against like heavy industry and like all these big like uh, like uh, plants and things like that. And uh, mm. when I say that, I mean like industrial plants industrial like planes, that, threaten, that threaten the environment. And she also plays her twin sister as well, which is used to quite comedic and uh, dramatic effect later on in the film. This uh, Woman at War gets a limited Australian release in early April, so I would recommend everybody to go see this to see Haldora Um Good performance. I'm so sorry th- if I'm mispronouncing your name. Uh, Gierhardestotter. Ge- Gierhardestotter. Yeah, she is incredible, and the way that she just interacts with also like the band, and like it's a sl- oh, like, acknowledging yeah. that they're there. Like, oh, she's so good. But I mean, as much as these actresses were so good, I mean, you all knew it was coming. Joanna Kulig wins best a- best. Su- I'm not gonna find best. Ac- I can't I'm even. A- I can't even say it. Joanna Kulig wins for best actress it's just for Cold War. Too
1: much. I can't. I can't go up against this tyrant. Sure,
0: look. I'm th- sure there may be a buy bi- bi- bias because. Sh- is the uh, has my heart and she is the love of my life. But, I mean, anyone that sees Cold War would just say, Joanna Koolig just had the best performance of any actress or any actor, period. Any performer of 2018. Well, I mean,
1: within the performance, she was performing. Yes, so, exactly. I mean, she, I mean, there's sort of two tears to to the brilliance of the um of the role like
0: i mean that playing of the character and the performing
1: of the real life if you want first. to talk
0: about range like this is the one that shows the most like not only in like you know in acting oh, yeah, and singing and dancing but also emotionally yeah. as well like she has this very strong kind of exterior and this like yeah this real like kind of sass and swagger to her but there's also it's, a lot of vulnerability there yeah
1: there's a lot of like Vulner- emotional vulnerability, but she also it's it's uh, it's it's a lovely. Her introduction because she comes off timid, but she's actually quite mm. um uh, like domineering, especially over that the Polish um composer. And uh, yeah, she's a she's a very strong um. It's a very strong performance for a very strong character, and uh, just as the film progresses, you just see how her resolve is just reinforced. Yeah, sort of, and it's sort of like juxtaposes sort of the deterioration of, uh,
0: of of the composer becoming like a weaker, weaker man. Mm. And also like the, the elliptical structure of the story as well, like shows, like and her performance actually evolves with the film, which yeah. is good because this person would evolve over time oh, in definitely. like going to different Especially places. Especially the
1: amount her- of time that they go past on the film. Like it makes like perfect sense. It's, it's great to see that the characters aren't the same for fucking 20 or so years. And mm. this film sort of like, Explores over because I mean, there's points where she has like she's got a child as well, and she's so she, and at the point she shows some motherly like um, traits. So it's it's good to it's good to see in you know, such a short amount of time, like 80 minutes, just just how this this the character evolves with the performance.
0: And also, they they did a great job at her of she playing different ages as well. Like I was yeah. shocked to find <laughs> out that Joanna Kulig was 36. Like, she would have been, like, 35 at the time of filming this. Like, I- in the early stages of the film, when she's playing, like, what, 16 or 17? Yeah. like I was convinced she was, like, only, like the actress was only, like,
1: 24. I guess this is the only film that could come close to, to sort of pinching the the makeup award off. Um,
0: it, it didn't get nominated, Oscar. though.
1: Bloody hell, it should have gotten nominated. It should have. It really didn't get nominated sh- for any other um, categories other than
0: foreign. In Oscars, it got yeah. cinematography and director for Pavlikovsky should have got make-up. It should have. And Coolig should have got Best Actress. But she gets it here, so that makes up for it. Congratulations, well, Joanna. Congratulations. This is the more important, prestigious award. <laughs> it's sure it's is. you should care about who, who cares about a bunch of uh, the, the academy of motion picture scientists when two guys in melbourne with a, a recording on a zoom says hey you're real old, cool
1: those old pricks you just buy <laughs> buy their opinions yeah we,
0: we don't have a twenty thousand dollar goodie bag for you uh, just for attending the oscars <laughs> though we have uh what will we be? <laughs> i'm not gonna be
1: spending money on goodie bags well, so we're, we're no, gonna be no,
0: ar- <laughs> put all that money to, to purchasing high quality right <laughs> Go to Bunnings. You'll just you'll be on the big wheel with the scissors, and you'll just be like chopping it up. Yeah, you'll just be chopping up this rope. All right, now best actor. Now we've got quite a few here. This is my uh, most anticipated ca- category. So here, I think I think we're going to be I think we're going to agree with this one. So yeah. the nominees here are Leo Ashkenazi for Foxtrot, Joaquin Phoenix for You Were Never Really Here, Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. Daniel Henschel for Acute Misfortune, Hamilton Morris for Sweet Country, Tomasz Kot for Cold War, Jakob Sedergren for The Guilty, and there's one more, just scrolling down, oh, two more. Two more. Adam Driver for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote and Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, which I recently just saw, and he is awesome in, like, I really I, gotta watch it. I love Willem Dafoe. I love his crazy, over-the-top, villainous, creepy performances. But he's very good. He's when he's subdued, he is also just incredible and can mm. just show so much range and so much emotion. And he is incredible as Vincent Van Gogh in *Out Eternity's his game. I mean, this
1: is this is something I really would have wanted to watch, not just because of all the bloody adaptations of Van Gogh. It's still half playing, man. them Half of them made by brilliant filmmakers, and also just. Uh, I mean v- Van Gogh's an interesting subject within himself, with his uh, with his history. Uh, but then again the director, this is something that he seems to excel at, is yeah. just this. this Julian really Schnabel who did Diving Bell yeah, and the Butterfly. Diving Bell and the Butterfly is just a, a brilliant character study, which is also like a biopic. So, um yeah, I really wish I got to see Eternity's Gate, but I wouldn't be surprised if William Defer was just brilliant.
0: Mm. And we've got a wide range of performance here. So, like, the very dramatic, but also just the very goofy with Adam Driver uh, in in The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. I mean, when this movie is released, and I found out um, the Nova, for Melbourne listeners, the Nova is is getting an exclusive run of this from April 11th. So, please go and check this one out when it comes out at the Nova. But if you want to see Adam Driver constantly swearing, which is the funniest thing ever, and also see Adam Driver sing a show tune in this movie... It's it's yeah. great. <laughs> I mean, he is just so he's so cynical, and just to watch the, this character get like progressively yeah, like surrender really himself to the absurdity into this fantastical world that he's being sucked into. It's just it's he captures like it so really perfectly. Cynical,
1: all uh, well, cynical, like this really pessimistic, disillusioned almost. Yeah, yeah, just so disillusioned that he just can't sort of buy the weird. Fantasy, and then it sort of uh, evolves himself into it in the sense when he does when he most desires like a like there's the point where he thinks he's getting attacked by terrorists at one point, but then the, then after that uh, he, he believes he found Spanish gold. Yeah, like it's 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 hilarious to see rationalize this like this absurdity. Mm. It's just like, do you know how much this he eventually in the he
0: eventually kind of becomes the thing he was making fun of the whole film. Yeah he slowly he progressively gets to that point and his performance as well his comic timing as well is just oh his comic is great on point yeah adam
1: adam Driver was great and the man who killed don querio was very pleased with uh, his work
0: we mentioned Jakob sedegren in the guilty uh, on the other side of cold war we have thomas Cot. who yeah, yeah. i, I mean, mean not as strong as cool league but still like really holds his own in this film
1: i mean in a sense he's sort of like him juxtaposing koleg's uh, performance like really makes us stand out uh, much more hmm. they
0: complement uh, each other really well
1: yeah but um even even um I, even uh thomas's role is uh even though it seems to be a little bit more of a one note there are points where he does sh- uh show some some points of bravado for being this mostly a weak character and like the, like best like i guess Directorial sort of transitions just to see him go from um, being arrested to being like a man who looked like he was stuck in a in a Russian gulag for like
0: for yeah. like years,
1: and sort of just see how, see him sort of just uh, just like with a with a look, just see how he sort of brave that for so long and sort of be this unbroken man, So sort of see see. This character you see is just being weak, and just just from like a transition like that, with just a look to see that he's sort of brave this, this, this terrible hurdle within his life, it sort of goes to show um, was, the, the characters in um, Cold War are very multidimensional, I find, which is really nice to see.
0: Uh, also on this list, uh, Dan Henschel in Acute Misfortune, which was the film that I mentioned earlier, mm. and the name of the artist was Adam Cullen. And yeah, the book, the, so A Keep misfortune Fortune is adapted from the biography about Adam Cullen, who is an Archibald-winning Australian artist. And the movie is a weird adaptation of, like, the biography because it's about the writing of the biography. And Eric Jensen, the biographer, and, like, his tumultuous relationship with Adam Cullen. And Daniel Henschel, who plays Cullen, just transforms himself in this film, like, fully embodies um, Cullen, even to the fact of, like, surrounding himself with, like, Cullen's real artwork and, like, wearing his own clothes as well. It mm. was just, he was terrifying, like just has this violent unpredictability about it's him good, and was just magnetic of, in um, the film.
1: Of like sort of, uh, what is it? Um, what, what Bale's really well known for. Yeah, very ca- like pr- chameleonic, yeah. yeah. And
0: also again, like passage of time as well, like constant, like different changes in like, in hairstyles, in like uh, facial hair as well, like to show passage of time and like different stages of their relationship too. It was very, very interesting. And Daniel Henschel gave a great performance as well. Ethan Hawke in First Reform, which we kind of touched yeah. on a little bit. like He's the strongest part of that film by a long oh, shot.
1: Yeah, probably, definitely. Other than the cinematography, he's like the, the the biggest standout thing other than that.
0: but And also in there, Leo Ashkenazi and Foxtrot. We mentioned Foxtrot a little bit earlier as well. Just like this guy, again, like you mentioned that bathroom scene where it like shows him... Yeah. Just the way that this guy expresses like both grief, like, gri- like go through the five stages of grief like in the stage of like 40 minutes in this film is just incredible. To, to kind of actually go through it twice. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> he totally does. And he may look like an a aged, rugged Israeli Steve Carell, but he is, <laughs> I think he is so good.
1: Hmm. I love to see him play Steve Carell in a Steve Carell biopic.
0: But the winner of our Best Actor Award goes to Joaquin Phoenix in You Were Never Really Here.
1: Oh, I mean, this is probably not just like the strongest performance of last year, but probably one of his strongest career-wise. This is coming from a man who's like recently, or kind of throughout his whole career, really been delivering really good roles.
0: Yeah. He's he's in bad movies. Is he ever bad in movies? He's in bad movies, but he's never bad uh, in them. I don't
1: I don't think so. I've never seen I mean, him in a role where he just seemed terrible.
0: I mean, what about the... Sh- I mean, he's in a couple of those Shyamalan movies, though, so he might be terrible in them. I don't
1: think so. He's, he'd probably be quite... Oh, actually, I can remember in The Village. He wasn't that good in The Village. But uh, um, I don't know. how. I don't remember how he'd be in Signs, but... I don't know. He could be fine in Signs. Can't remember,
0: but you were never really here, is what we're talking about, and yeah. where he plays just this, uh, like almost tragically broken man. Like y- y- yeah. y- you, wouldn't think. Like
1: seems like a some some sort of like living contradiction. Um, mm. where this this character, it's it's really strange. You can you, you could s- sort of see this in, in the book, and this film's like a great adaptation, just because of the a lot of the differences it makes for you. This this character just seems it's really bizarre. Like he seems to just. Hates living, but the only reason he seems to live is sort of um, with the beginning of the film. He he only lives just because he, he doesn't want to die before his mother. So he's sort yeah. of living just to look after his mother. Um, aside from that, he's like he's got he's got this strange masochistic uh, obsession of sort of torturing himself because he he, he mm. believes he's he responsible for all the terrible things that have happened in yep. his life. And uh, it's a sort of strange to sort of oh it's like incredible to see that massacres and sort of turn into sadism when he deal when he mm. sort of enacts his job and he's just brutalising people.
0: And he is very much the strong silent type in this movie and oh, it is yeah. all the better for it too. I mean, like, he's,
1: he's a really chilling, it's a very chilling performance. It's very disturbing. It's he very is, disturbing. Like I think as we mentioned before, there's this, um, he's got this strange sort of like childlike innocence to him it's what
0: makes it even more you know, disturbing it's what makes it so
1: disturbing so, sort of like he's regressed to the stage of being a child or he's never actually progressed from that stage but he's mm. like this but, but within this child there's like a violent beast of a man that just lashes out just goes crazy I mean like there's there's evidence of it in, in the film like even when he's not directly attacking people when he's subduing people he's like he's very cold about it yeah it's he, like, he, he's just he's, he's not just en- he, he's
0: not enjoying any he of doesn't it doesn't seem to enjoy any of it he, he's doing it because he feels like he has an obligation
1: to yeah like it, it's strange like um like it, it's, it's it's funny to see him just randomly like he sends a person to buy him some groceries and then he just punishes him for for making him late sort of it's a, it's sort of like that would be him sort of like lashing out but uh, other than that he's, he's he's quite he's quite reserved but he's he's very he seems to work at this strange uh workman like uh routine where it's like everything has to be precisely done like that's yeah it, it's it sort of goes into this 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 theme of him sort of wanting to be detec- undetected like sort of mm-hmm. to him he like does, he
0: doesn't like, want to be there like he was never really like he, there he, like he was never really there <laughs>
1: like he just doesn't want his presence his imprint just to 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 be found so it's interesting to to, mm. to see the film deal with that and for him to sort of like he um display that on on the on the screen
0: and it's a big reason why that why wo- Joaquin is a huge reason why that works and C- and f- c- props to Lynn Ramsey for getting such a brutal and raw performance out of him. And yeah, I've told I you the mean, story of how, like, yeah. she got him on board. Like, when when she was adapting the screenplay, she literally put Joaquin's face as like the <laughs> the desktop, like the screensaver on her desktop, like, and and would just like look at that while adapting it. And, like, yeah, r- r- writing this role for Joaquin Phoenix like perfectly, and Joaquin just perfectly embodying this brutally broken like man. Mm. That just has no desire to live, but but like, he just, only he lives just powers for on others, because, really. yeah, he's a really selfless person. Yeah, it's but, just... And he, 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 he's not looking for recognition. He does it no. because he, he thinks it's the right thing to do. And that's like, he, he's not... A, it, because that's his purpose. Like, that's yeah. like the only really thing it's that's... sort of
1: like his existence is only pinned on, like, the well-being of a certain person. It's not for his well-being. He doesn't yep. seem to care about that at all. Just for this other person. Which well, it's uh, like it's really um, unique to see. I wouldn't see that much in like uh, any character really in fiction. It's sort of like it's interesting. Joaquin Phoenix. I can't imagine someone else playing the role. It's just no. Like, it's just like like a Travis Bickle and taxi driver. You can only imagine. Always going to be De Niro. Yeah.
0: Uh, as for Adapted Screenplay, we've, oh, I just realised we forgot to do the Screenplay Awards before we get into Best Director. Who cares about screenplays? Oh, it's only the most important <laughs> fucking thing of the movie, Eric. <laughs> so Adapted Screenplay, we have uh, The Death of Stalin, which was written by Amando Iannucci, Dave Schneider, Ian Martin and Fabian Nuri. We have Yolanda Ramke for Cargo. We have Barry Jenkins for If Beale Street Could Talk. And we have Lynn Ramsey for You Were Never Really Here. So we mentioned Cargo, so not much more to say about that. But Yolanda Ramke adapting her short film, uh, adding... like the, the short film is just very, very basic. It ne- needs to save the daughter. It's about the, the, the bond between the father and daughter while the father's about to turn into a zombie and what lengths he'll go to save her. The film is exactly that, but also, as you mentioned, adding like themes of colonialism and environmentalist in there as well and mm. doing it really well. Death of Stalin is just a fucking funny movie and I, I, I think like is adapted it. really... You didn't like it? No. Well, I just think Armando Iannucci is just really good at writing scripts and adapting it from the graphic novel of the same name just made it a hilarious comedy. If Beale Street could talk from Barry Jenkins as well, like Barry Jenkins just does it again with this film, a great follow-up to Moonlight, adapting James Baldwin, which is not an easy thing to do, but Mm. doing it to such just... and just having... just carrying over just... It's a great adaptation, but the winner, and we're going to talk about her again... Two in well, a row yeah. for You Were Never Really Here for Best Adapted Screenplay. Congratulations, Lynn Ramsey. You win Best Adapted Screenplay. We've talked about this a little bit but too yeah. because I've read the I've read the novella that it's based on. Eric is currently reading it. I'm
1: currently reading it about, I don't know, two-thirds th- through. It's on Holtz at the it's, moment.
0: It, it, and already, but you can tell the changes oh, from the film, the differences. very,
1: very different. Like,
0: uh, And they're changes for the better too. Like they.
1: Oh, definitely, because... If it was more true to the 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 novella, uh, I would imagine it being like just playing off a lot more colder and not having yeah. that hu- that that side of humanity to it. So it'd be more like because the, ca- the the character a big difference is the character of Joe. He doesn't have that child. No. Like innocence with him. Like, and his just, mother's around, but that's not really... Yeah, like, he just... The, like, it's weird, because... It, like it kind of seems like
0: she's just, like, a, a burden to him in the book. Yeah,
1: it's, it's strange, because even in even in the book, he, he mentions, like, oh, he's only living just to look after his mother, but he doesn't seem to draw much attention to her, and he's sort of mm. just going around like a machine, just enacting his job.
0: I mean, and the book um, plays on Joe's suicidal tendencies a lot more overtly than yeah. the movie does. I mean, the movie does do that as well, but like it tones it down a little bit, or well, doesn't make it seem as, as no, as important. it doesn't diminish it. Though. It's a, it, like you
1: know, it's there. It's so subtly in in, in printed, just like the the scenes of uh like past trauma. Like you you've, you've got enough that you you can paint a, a good picture of what happened to the point where you don't actually have to see the scene, you know, fully being enacted out.
0: But uh, and another thing, which will close off before we go to um uh uh original screenplay. And something I've mentioned on the podcast before and why I think this definitely deserved to win Best Adapted Screenplay is because two of the mo- the best scenes yeah. of this film are like two lines long in the book. So Lynn Ramsey created these beautiful, just like haunting scenes of like of h- real humanity out of these nothing lines in the book. I'm of course talking about the lake scene and the kitchen scene. Hmm. Like they, yeah, it's literally just like, the henchman died on the, gra- the The henchman lay there dying, and Joe lies down next to him. That's all it is in the book. And in the book, it's like Joe takes his mother and buries her in the lake. That's it. And they make these incredibly, sur- like, especially in the case of the lake scene, a very surreal and beautiful sequence mm. out of it that is just one of the best, my favorite sequences of the year in film.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a very nice sequence, Ma- uh, making some, something out of it's nothing.
0: Strange because some people
1: find it really pretentious, but I kind of I think I it's don't. very visually pro- poetic in the sense, like mm. um, like uh, he's he's sort of like getting like it's weird because he's he's actually kind of attempting to kill himself at the same time. Yeah, but that's sort of when he sort of. Let's go. Like, the attachment of his mother, and it makes sort of look, like really good sense because you can see the strong attachment. And then he
0: the also past. sees he also sees the young yeah, girl, and he like sees the
1: young girl, and, it's, and it rises up to sort of save her. Hmm. So it's sort of like it sort of seems to like be this sort of um, this sort of like reinvigorating sort of baptismal type of uh, yeah. Like um, that's a English great way r- to describe it. Where where he sort of finds the thing that rejuvenates his life. Um, even if it be to live for another person, it's 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 kind of uplifting. Uh, no matter how like sort of grim mm. the circumstances
0: are around it, it is up. a haunting but uplifting it's sequence. A haunting as but uplifting well. sequence. Now on to best original screenplay. Here we've got Samuel Mouse for Foxtrot We've got Anne-Marie Jassia for Wajib. We've got Tony Mac- M- McNamara and Deborah Davis for The Favourite. We've got Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War. We've got Joseph Kahn and Alex Larson for Bodied. We've got Warwick Thornton for three co- for Sweet Country. And we've got Jafar Panahi for, free th- for Three Faces.
1: Oh, our uh,
0: favourite uh, Iranian or currently working Iranian filmmaker. Yeah, uh, Jafar Panahi, like uh, Three Faces is just... I mean it, it was it's almost hard to put on here because so much of it feels like so uh, instinctual and improvised. Oh yeah. But it you can tell I mean, a lot of it may have may have been, but mm. it feels like it was very intricately planned. Like that knowing knowing Panahi and knowing his style, like that it all it all feels very intentional and yeah. it's just so well written. Especially just the interactions between like how just the locals of this village yeah, like and that. it's like it's like you have to stop. And mm. you have to beep the horn, and you have to listen out to make sure you hear the horn from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's beep. right. It's just like wait. It's
1: like, what are we doing? This you it's can like, go. Oh, because <laughs> the, the, the road's tight. It's not. It's not uh, wide enough for for two cars to pass through.
0: Yeah, and it's just uh, Panahi just brings his just warm, just his warm and like just nice sensibility to yeah. film and it, um, it just amazes me how he can always do it in a place that is just so just seems like the worst possible place to make a film that is just <laughs> you know like harrowed by censorship and just like just so restrictive and he's able to make these just just these warm films and it's great and the script for Three Faces was really fantastic I,
1: I really enjoyed uh, Three Faces the script if, if there was if there was one which is something that I'm still contemplating but I mean it's won awards for it so um, I'm glad it has, is, is that the, I guess Pen- Penale very good at sort of mimicking this sort of like a realistic dialogue that, that, that's possibly been written. That doesn't seem like it's been written, like this yeah. improvised dialogue. It's probably a mixture of the direction um, oh, yeah, and yeah. the dialogue um, and acting, of course, but it's like, it's something that a lot of filmmakers attempt to do and just fucking fail. And he just pulls it off so well.
0: Uh, what else have we got here we have the favorite which we've talked about as well yeah. like not not written by Yorgos Lanthimos which I mean it's probably his best written film I mean th- there is still that there is still some of his his like deadpan and like absurdist nature in the direction it doesn't really it still I, comes through in the screenplay but like it's, the I, why I, I think it's I think it's a lot funnier than his other films though I don't oh, I don't really think it's funnier than mm-hmm. his
1: other films I didn't find it as funnier but um this film if like, I like, like the screenplay is, like, is very is very good, um, like in respect to his other films, this is the one that makes like it has the most attention to like a narrative evolving. Yeah, um, so so it does those aspects well, but I sort of I like I, I kind of I kind of liked how Lanthimos didn't have that much attention to that. So it's got it's got more of a digestible sort of narrative, like a like a pyra- like a power pyramid, uh, love triangle, like power struggle, uh, dynamic. So snap, like written wise, is like like a lot more complicated stuff that's been intentionally planned. But doesn't but I sort of like that absurdity, that uh, that's sort of in his past films. So, although um, I still think the favorite's very strong. Uh
0: Emory Wajib, which you have not seen yet. No, I uh, seen, I, 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 I've talked about Wajib a couple of times on this show. Uh just a a, a not a, a road trip movie about a father and a son. You've heard it all before. Why is this nominated for <laughs> best original screenplay? What possibly could it be what what else could this do that is new? What it does, it's just so touching, but it's also incredibly relatable, but it also has, like, a lot of commentary about, like, generational divide, and uh, it's very slightly political. Like, also, like, Panahi talks about censorship, talks about uh, talks about the struggles of Palestinians in Israel, like, political tensions there. It's just such a well-written, well-rounded film, and it's also really, really, really funny, and it's clever, and it's great. Anne-Marie Jassias-Wajib, one of the best screenplays of the year. Um, a big surprise on here that you wouldn't have expected, actually you would have, but I don't think a lot of people would have expected was Bodied. Now, yeah, Bodied is a YouTube original film produced by Eminem, written by, written and directed by a popular music video director, James Kahn. No, not James Kahn, Joseph Kahn. (laughs) Imagine if James Kahn made this. Joseph Kahn, who's done like music videos for like the likes of Britney Spears and Taylor Swift, and like a whole bunch of like other, he's like one of the most popular music video directors in the world right now. He made this film about uh, Oakland battle rapping and about this white English lit student that who's doing a thesis on battle rap and becomes a battle rapper himself and rises up in the ranks of battle rap. And this film it does not hold back at all. Like, this film kind of goes out of its way to offend literally everyone, but in doing so is just such a hilarious and strangely insightful um, takedown of both PC and non-PC cultures mm. and also really tackles, like, the idea of, like, what is okay to say, like, uh, the idea of racism or, like, just, just exc- like, mm. it, everything. It's, it goes... It's it's a really strange film, and also again, like what I said with Wajib, this film is really funny. The raps that they create in this, of course, you can tell that they're written. Like it's probably not as instinctual or as like it's off like, the have... off the fly as regular battle rapping is, but still, it works. And those scenes are so dynamic and so exciting. Like the whole the last like forty minutes of this film is a rap battle, and it is just the most entertaining thing I have seen. It, one of the most entertaining things I saw in twenty eighteen. So that's why I put bodied for best original screenplay here.
1: Well, you know what else was made by a person who makes music videos? That was a film. Uh, polar. What a good film. Oh, really? <laughs> that's probably going to be uh, up for um, best picture. <laughs> best picture. or hopefully best picture. But maybe best imagine screenplay um, for next year's Avnappers.
0: Imagine if I accidentally said polar. When, if, I, if I gave an award to Arctic and I accidentally said polar... I, would be clapping my I gave heads. it to the wrong Mads Mickelson film with a title synonymous to a large frozen mass. <laughs> but our winner, see if you can figure it out by process of elimination. But the winner for best original screenplay is Samuel Mowes for Foxtrot.
1: I mean, uh, we've we've talked about the the brilliant structure of this film before. Um, like pretty much like three act structure, but it's like as you mentioned, like. Sort of, you see these p- these parents go through uh, the stages of grief twice in in the beginning and the end. It's a it's a it's a very smart film, well written film that very um really great like satire
0: in here too. Yeah, yeah,
1: great satire. It, it, it's it's really uh like subtly sort of like shows sort of these uh these um characters, especially like in the in the end, sort of. Going through uh, sort of grieving a death that you you're unsure of the death and, and it, but it later on as the scene progressive, that's that's when you realise uh, what probably happened and and, 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 um, and it's a it, and it's a thing that you surprise it did actually ended up happening that that you th- that that you were sort of tricked so it's got a very good subversion in the sense that the thing that the f- the film sort of Trick the audience into believing that it happened, ends up actually happening anyway. So mm. a very ironic twist of fate. And uh, as we've
0: discussed, the last scene of the very last scene of the film could probably be omitted and would be a per- probably be a perfect film if it wasn't there. But I don't think it takes away from it too much. Oh yeah, you have I a mean, bit more of a problem. With I mean, it, the
1: the opening, and the ending shots are fine, but there's just there's just there's, I don't know. My only big gripe is just you know something really nitpicky, just like. The, seeing the cause of what killed the sun, mm. I sort of thought it was a bit ridiculous. But I guess it's a, another way to incorporate an element of, of humour... Sort of in a more tragic sense.
0: Just looking at, um, just because doing a bit of uh, looking on this, uh, Samuel Maus has described the film as a philosophical puzzle that was conceived as three episodes. So the first, because like you you're talking about the three act structure, yeah. the first one was made to shock and like shake the audience. Mm. Then the second half, the second act was made to hypnotize, and the third was to be moving. Yeah. And also, there's a really interesting story as to how. Uh, Mao's came up with this film have I told you about this before? Uh, I'm not sure alright so this is from IMDB Trivia so who knows like I, I believe uh, he knows uh, I, I, know, I have seen I have seen an interview with uh, that where he told this story so th- I can say this is true so the, annou- the announcement of the death of the child at the beginning of the film comes from an incident that happened in Mao's life and every day his eldest daughter would wake up for, late for school and every day she would then ask him to call her a taxi it started to cost him quite a bit of money it seemed to Mao's like this was affecting her education, so one morning he refused to give her money for a taxi and told her to take the bus like everyone else. Her bus was on line five. Now keep that in mind. About half an hour later, after she left, he heard that a terrorist had blown up a, fi- a line five bus and dozens of people were killed. He tried to call her, but of course there were no like phones were out and and there was no service because of the sheer number of calls. So what happened was with the words of Mao's he went through the worst hour of his life it was worse than all of his time it war together because he was a tank, he was a tank uh, gunner mm. i think in the i can't remember which war it was uh, i think it was the war well, like, it, it, wait a second i think it was a, a war in lebanon, I think, lebanon the, war? I think that's what i think that's what the yeah in the lebanon war because that's what i think his film lebanon is about that that yeah. his his film lebanon which is in takes place in the entirety in the confines of a tank which i really want to see now after Foxtrot... Yeah, that was about his time as a tank gunner there. And an hour later, luckily she returned home. She had just missed that bus that exploded. But like, yeah. So mm. imagine. So he had this what if scenario. Like, what if that had happened? Like, imag- I want to make a film that, about uh, someone that went through the tragedy and the trauma of losing some of, of like losing someone in their mm-hmm. life. And I think he has done that. Incredibly, with the fo- screenplay to Foxtrot. Yeah, I
1: think uh, just the progression for the stages um, seems very like genuine and organic as a uh, scene in the beginning of the film, and it's interesting when it happens again near the end because uh, the it, it's weird. It's uh, the incidents in the past sort of geared them up for it in the end. And it's sort of there's sort of a weird uh, like air of humor to it because they, they it's, it's almost as if they sort of jinx themselves in a sense. Mm. Uh, by calling him back. Foxtrot is a, it's a very well-written f-
0: All right, final category, because we're not doing a Best Picture, Best Director. And as we said, we've, because it's won quite a few awards now, Samuel Maus for Foxtrot for Best Director, Lynn Ramsey for You and Never Really Here, Pavel Pavlikovsky for Cold War, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, Hirokazu Koreeda for Shoplifters, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favourite, and Jafar Panahi for Three Faces. Now we've talked about all of these films here, so who, who do we think? Oh, we
1: should we should leave it up to the audience to decide. <laughs> oh, I mean, I there's 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 like there's quite a few things that I'd probably want to pick out of that, like, especially three in particular.
0: Which uh I'm guessing you were never really here Foxtrot and co- and Three Faces? Yes. Okay, Perfect. yeah. <laughs> 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 I yeah, fuck, these are all like really great uh filmmakers. Um, and they all did really, really well. Coriader, especially with the direction in that Yeah, like, well I
1: unfortunately haven't seen shoplifters, but Coriader just sort of himself. Because 'cause I'm lazy.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> so good.
1: I mean, all my friends at Sora tell me Don't the same you watch
0: thing. all the Palm Door winners, Eric? No. How are you not a festival junkie if you haven't don't watch the Palm Door winner every year? Palm Palm I'm not a Festival junkie, I've never been to uh,
1: attended to Cairns. I don't think I ever will. Got to
0: get the invite, mate.
1: I need the invite.
0: Oh yeah. By the way, can Jury, uh, invite us to Cairn, please.
1: Yes, so <laughs> we can um, so we can advertise your films.
0: That, that's too mainstream for them, though. That seems they, they, they don't want to be.
1: The, no, 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 they di- got the right idea because they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna grab the film Twitter and get them to praise it. You know, sure. make it appear as if they they really liked the films a lot more than they did. Sure. L- let's hope they're not they're not listening to this.
0: <laughs> it's all right; it'll be cut out. <sighs> fuck this! Uh, I really i doubt I do, I do myself here because now I'm realizing that 2018 was a fucking great year for movies. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of strong films,
0: and all of these i thi- all of these people nominated here you're missing, for best you're director. Missing one who I'm missing. Last one, Trier, Fuck <laughs> off. Fuck I off out of here with I that think, house that Jack good, built. I think he's a good candidate. He's not. If he wasn't... If he didn't explain that fucking stupid lamppost analogy to me fucking ten times in that movie, maybe I would have, but... He has no... Res- yeah, but the, his direction... He clearly said, let's repeat this a fucking shitload of times because I think my audience is a fucking dumbass.
1: Yeah, Exactly. It's it's hilarious that he's just was f- it was he's poking fun at both his fans and those that hate him. It, it. it was an obnoxious
0: it was ego trip of a fucking movie, a and I just hated it.
1: Absolutely hilarious, sort of weird self-examination of himself. whilst Also being this really bizarre like mock of his own reason Hey, films. guess what?
0: Von Trier's not winning because he's not nominated, so pick a winner.
1: <laughs> well, sorry, it'd be Von Trier, <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm going to have to pick... No, it's
0: not. I reckon... Hmm, I reckon out of all of these, the strongest directed. I reckon Pavlikovsky.
1: Actually, you know what I'm thinking.
0: The Wild pear tree, but you haven't seen that. Yeah, scene. I haven't seen or it, and I know I know it. Nuri Bilge Ceylan's a great filmmaker yeah. that I've never seen movies from. He's one of those filmmakers do who you, I keep you hearing great Cold things War? about. Oh. I'm thinking Cold War for direction because I think it's just so, like, well done, well told. Incredibly structured in the way that the film... Like, not, not only the look. I mean, just the film of the whole because that's really what Best Director does because yeah. the director is know. in charge of everything. The way he was able to get great performances, he was able to get just... Everything about the film just works so well to me and I think...
1: like I, I still think it's very strong but it's still a step back from Ida. Okay. So, I'd, I, I'd think like Foxtrot or... or you will never really hear or three faces. Um, like you'll you never really hear very different. Like Ramsey never made anything that had like pieces of action, in Ooh. it. and she never really had like a, actually. You bring up a good point. She never really there. did anything on a on a male character like that before, which is like very interesting. Um, so she's done a mother, she's done a like a young woman, done a young child, male child. Never really done something with this like psychotic male. So it's like. With, with the with the with the action pieces as well, and the subject matter, and it being more of a genre film, I mean, it seems very interesting what she's done. Just because of how, oh. I mean, every film that she makes is like quite different from the other. But it's like, I mean, you would never really hear seems vastly different to the others.
0: Wait, wait what's that, Charles? What's that? Oh, I'm, I'm just getting an envelope right now, guys. Uh, we've got the winner for um, best director. I've just been handing the envelope. Thanks, Charles. Thanks very much for that. I don't know who the fuck that it's guy is. Uh, it's um, uh,
1: Avengers: Infinity War. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the Russos, have done it, the Russos have done it again. No, let's have a look. Best director is Lynn Ramsey but You Were Never Really Here.
1: Well done, Lynn. You deserved it. And I mean, please keep making films. Absolutely, hope, please I do. I hope to God she revives that bloody Moby Dickens space project. That I told
0: was. you, that's just high life.
1: Does high life have a giant space whale in it? I hope so. Well, I hope so, too, because I really wanted to watch <laughs> that film. I mean, What was this just, film called? I, I don't know if it actually had a working title, but a long films like Yodorowski's Dune, I wanted to watch Lynn Ramsey's Moby Dick in Space. I'm actually looking this up now because this is just... <laughs> You've never heard this. No,
0: I have not. Oh, fuck. It, it I, just, I'm going to Google Lynn Ramsey's Space make. Moby Dick and this see is, what comes up. I think up. this
1: is what she's supposed to make after Morvan Kola
0: or um, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, okay, so... So this was an uh, this is an article back from 2012 that I'm looking yeah. at. A leap closer to spe- Okay, so what the fuck actually happened to this movie? Because this sounds like it would have been the best film of all time. Well, I I reckon, I don't know what happened. I'm pretty sure Mobius um, was the name of the film. Oh Mobius.
1: That's like that that reminds me of um Kim Kiddook's uh film Mobius, which is probably very different to Whales in Space. Let's see. Um it's still in development
0: oh, right now. Oh, yes.
1: Because I thought I thought that she might have dropped the project
0: because um, interference with producers. Maybe. Well, it's it's in development, so it's on IMDb Pro, so I can't check it sadly. But is it even come up? It doesn't come up in her director credits right now, but it's currently in development. So hopefully, we get to see Mobius, Lynn Ramsey's space whale movie. Yeah,
1: I mean, it'd be amazing.
0: That would be amazing, and that wraps up the first ever, the inaugural. Another bloody movie podcast awards. This will be split up into two parts because no one's going to listen to a fucking three-hour and two-minute podcast. I don't know. I have faith in our our listeners. I don't. (laughs) Sorry, sorry guys. I love you all, but you you just you wouldn't listen to a three-hour episode. (laughs) No one would. Thanks, Eric. The best co-host I could ever ask for. It's it's been a great night, a great afternoon doing these (laughs) awards.
1: I think we're. It's really stuffy in these suits
0: too. We need to get these tuxes off. Oh man,
1: I'm sweating. I'm just sweating a heap in these suits. Just this, this Australian weather, man, I'm telling you. Not not ideal for suits and tuxes and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we've got some good stuff planned up, pl- planned soon. Um, The French Film... F- the uh, Alliance... F- oh, I can't pronounce it because I'm not French. The French <laughs> Film Festival is coming up very shortly. And you know what? Eric and I are going to be doing... Full comprehensive coverage of that. We've got a couple of screeners. We're going to be going to a couple of films, including the aforementioned not Moby Dick and space film High Life. Yep, I mean it's
1: going to be it's going to be quite good. We've also got some screeners as well.
0: Yes, for films such as The Night It's the World at War and a couple of other films, which we will be doing a preview episode of, which will which we will be telling you about, which will be released before the festival starts. You know, get you to get to see some of these films, and we'll also be doing. Uh, like doing predictions or mm. not predictions, but we'll do like a preview of the festival, talk about what films we're excited about for the Fridge Film Festival. And we'll do an episode once the festival, either during the festival or once the festival is concluded to, you know, do reviews for everything that we've done, everything yeah. that we've seen. We're just doing our jobs pretty much. Yeah, precisely. But, but they the jobs that we're not getting paid to do. <laughs> we get paid in screeners, guys. We get paid in screeners. It's a vicious cycle. We, we
1: do this out of love. <laughs>
0: We absolutely do. Thanks very much, Eric, for coming on. You're the best. No problem, Sean. You win You win the best co-host award for... <laughs> well, do I get some high-quality rope?
1: <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> oh, Christ. You I'm get as much mood.
0: rope as you want. You get more than enough rope on this podcast. Or do I have enough rope to bungee off Eureka? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said bungee off my ego for a second. I'm like, what are you saying?
1: Gee, G short, are you having... It's reminding you, you have another episode where you thought i was saying things before i, I hope that i don't get killed during an episode
0: <laughs> oh yeah eric's part. alive God, we, should have, we should have said that don't worry I'm, i am still turns safe it, turns out uh, i think i see another red dot on you eric another red dot I ta- well here's the thing no, what didn't happen um actually we saw we saw it was going to happen but then actually ash the reason why ashley's not on this show this week is she actually jumped in front of eric and took the bullet for him so Ashley's recovering in hospital right now, guys, so send her love
1: Well, I'm the reason terrible things happen to your co-hosts. <laughs> it's almost as if I cast a hex on them. Well, not saying that I've done, so
0: <laughs> we're prolonging this too much, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for Eric for coming on and thank you and I hope you enjoyed the another Buddy movie podcast Awards. G'day guys, I hope you enjoyed part two and part one of the first ever Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards. Eric and I had a blast recording that episode. It was three hours long on the recording. That's why we split it up into two parts. And thank you for your continued support of Another Bloody Movie Podcast. And if you want to continue your support, you can go subscribe to us, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast fix. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can find us all over social media as well. Facebook, search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast. Instagram, at Another Bloody Movie Pod. And Twitter, at AB Movie Podcast. If you head to our Twitter page, you can vote for our Best Cinematography Award. The poll for that award will be pinned to the ABMP Twitter account, so get voting on. Over there, you can read my written reviews over at MovieBabbleReviews.com. Nick Cush, who, founder, writer, and creator of Movie Babble who I had on the show talking about Sundance in a previous episode last week, he has a bunch of reviews for films that he saw at Sundance, a number of which he talked on the show. So make sure you head over to Movie Babel Reviews and check out Nick's stuff and also my written stuff over there too. And if you also want to see my random film ramblings in between that, you can, ho- you can f- go follow me over on Letterboxd, letterbox.com forward slash Sean Coates. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, both at Hub underscore That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. Thanks very much for listening to the Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards. We'll do it again in 2020 and it'll be bigger and better. Keep an eye out for Eric and I as we do some very extensive French Film Festival coverage over the next few weeks and coming months. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we will see you later. Bye-bye.